Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. It's so good to have you with us if you're in the venue. If you're at home, it's also so good to have you with us. I don't know which camera I'm looking at right now. Here? No, here? It's really good to see you all. And um, thank you so much for joining us today. So much had happened, and yet there was still so much yet to happen. Rumors of a resurrected Jesus were swirling, and some of the disciples had seen Jesus for themselves. But with all of the disruption, several of the disciples returned back to their old way of life before they encountered Jesus. And one day, Simon Peter, he called his friends to say that he was going to go out fishing that morning. So his friends, they joined him in the boat, but they caught absolutely nothing. And a man that they didn't recognize, he shouted at them from the shore. He recognized that they were struggling a little bit and called them to throw their nets to the other side of the boat. And they instantly gathered up a miraculous catch. And John, who was baffled by what he saw, looked back to the shore and realized it is the Lord. So Peter, he jumps instantly into the water and he swims the hundred meters to shore. The disciples following behind him in the boat, they probably were raging as they had to haul 153 fish and one man down. And as they reached the shore, they noticed a fire. There were some fish and some bread. And Jesus himself said to them, come, let's have breakfast. So much had happened, and yet there was so much yet still to happen. Jesus would soon ascend, the spirit would then fall, the church would be born, but there was this time to sit and to eat, to reconnect, to be replenished, to have breakfast. I love breakfast. But with the disruption of the denial, the fleeing, the crucifixion, the resurrection, there were many things that remained unresolved. And with the fire crackling in the background, Jesus took time to gently but firmly bring resolution to what remained unresolved. Feed my sheep, Jesus told Peter three times. There was this moment in between all that had taken place and all that would soon take place for two things, rest and resolution, a time for a slow breakfast on the beach. With Thursday's announcement from the executive, which I am buzzing to hear, by the way, it's easy for us to now get into a headspace where we become so focused on the future, right? Pure buzzing about everything that lies ahead. With the excitement of all that lies ahead of us, we could easily just forget everything that's taken place, COVID, schmovid, right? We can quickly think, hey, that's done. What's next? Even for us as a church, as Lagan Valley Vineyard, we are a kind of future-focused people. We're kind of activists. We want to get in on the work of the kingdom, and yet, in the way of the church, and also in our way of life, which is one and the same thing, by the way, we sense this hesitation to not rush ahead, but actually take a moment before what's next for two things, rest and for resolution. We want to take some time to sit, to eat, and have breakfast. I love breakfast. You've heard us say this thing many times before, but God moves at two speeds. He moves suddenly. He moves in an instant. 
He moves miraculously. He turns situations and stories right around. We are charismatics. We know this. We've witnessed this. We have experienced this. And if you're new to our community, we hope that you get to experience the supernatural movement of Jesus very, very soon. But God also moves slowly. He moves slowly through the seasons of our lives. He beckons us to join him on a journey, a long obedience in the same direction. And if you're anything like me, you love it whenever Jesus moves fast. But especially in this moment, we need to experience and enjoy the slow work of God. As a Jesuit, Pierre Tillyard de Chardin first prayed, and I probably butchered that because I am wick a French. He said this, above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay, right? That is us. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, to something new, and yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability, and that may take a very long time. And so I think it is also with you. Your ideas mature gradually, so let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on. As though you could be today what God will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. So give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you. And trust me, his hand is certainly leading you. I want to invite us as a church community to take some time, even for the next few weeks, to slow down and to trust in the slow work of God. And so to do that, we're going to take the next couple of weeks to teach through Psalm 23. Today, I'm going to teach through the first line of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now, for most of us, maybe all of us, we know Psalm 23, right? Yet it can feel a little bit twee, can't it? In our imagination, this ancient song, it sounds like spa music, doesn't it? We can just visualize ourselves lying beside still waters with our robe, cucumbers over our eyes. No, that's maybe just me. Psalm 23 has been overly domesticated. And so from the outset, it's really important to say that, well, it's a simple reminder, but this is a psalm that was written by David, a man who was shunned by his family, a man who was hunted down by Saul, a man who was forced to hide in caves away from his enemies, a man who had an affair, a man who grieved brutal losses, a man who slain giants, a man who was forever tested. But this is also a song that reflects the story of a nation, the nation of Israel, a nation bound up by oppressive slavery in Egypt, a wilderness people who constantly lived with threats. And yet despite the disruptions that they faced, Israel and David are able to look back on their story, retracing the faithfulness of God and sing aloud this anthem of ruthless trust. Trust, by the way, is not optimism. Trust is a way of living. It's a way of practice through which over and over and over and over again, we commit ourselves, devote ourselves, and live obediently towards Yahweh, towards Jehovah, towards the Lord. So let's begin the journey over the next couple of weeks. If you are here or you're at home, can I invite you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 23? And if you're here with us in the building, and if you're able, can I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Let's stand together.
This is Psalm 23. Come, Holy Spirit. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord given to us so that we may know the glory of the Father, may practice the way of the Son, and be filled over and over and over again by the power of His Holy Spirit. Please grab a seat. I grew up about five or six miles that way in Anahilt. It's a small blink-and-you-miss-it kind of a village, a couple of roads surrounded by fields. Now, I grew up in the country, but I also grew up as a FUBU wearing, LimeWire downloading, NME reading, skateboard carrying, how do you say it? That's right, tiny. And lads in my primary school class were all about tractors and all about farming, and I was like, nah, lads, Space Jam is my kind of jam. Anyone who has shaken my hand or has looked at me knows just how much of a tiny I am and will forever be. I'm one of those folks who's less interested and how a lamb is reared, as opposed to how much Jamie Oliver cooks it and how well he cooks it. And yet, over the past couple of years, I've got really interested in shepherding. I know, right? And um, actually, Andy and I have been having this conversation back and forth over the past couple of years about shepherding. Now, Andy has moved up to the hills with Dana and the kids. He's working dogs. He's roaming fields. But whenever it comes to my interest in shepherding, I've worked that through in quite a unique way. I haven't been to a farm. I haven't spoken to a farmer. I've worked this out in the most tiny way possible, um, going to Waterstones and buying books about shepherding, right? Now, I know what all of you are thinking, and all of you at home is like, oh my goodness, flipping tinies. But growing up, surrounded by fields and paying no attention to what was actually going on, I, in and around Anahilt, carrying my skateboard with my fubu jeans, Wu-Tang hoodie, I just noticed sheep roaming, right? And I just assumed that they just kind of took care of themselves. But as I've found through research, um, sheep, even sometimes more than any other kind of livestock, they require endless attention. They require devoted care all of the time. For good shepherds, for good farmers, their flock can be like an extension of themselves. They are prized possessions marked by the shepherd themselves. Good shepherds, they are supremely attentive James Rebanks, a farmer and a wonderful writer from the Lake District, puts it like this. When I leave my flock in the fells, surrounded by grass and come home, I leave something of myself up there with them. I look to the skylines where they graze several times a day, but sometimes, though, I can't help myself. And I go back up to the fell just to see that all is well. The skylarks ascend, singing, disturbed by my boots and by the sheepdogs. And as Rebanks recalls this moment, he looks out over the field, he looks over his flock, and he says this, this is my life, and I want no other. That sounds pretty idyllic, right? But the life of the shepherd is really hard work. 
It's deeply committed, and it never lets up throughout the seasons. You know, in winter, there is looking after the core breeding flock and then feeding them hay. In early spring, there's the preparation for lambing, then tending to the lambs. In early summer, there's the marking, the worming, the vaccinating, and leading the sheep to fields that are full of grass. And then there's continually throughout the whole year just looking out and caring for them. That's not bad knowledge for a tiny, right? That's pretty good. In every season, the shepherd, he lays down his life his energy, his time for the sake of his flock. It's no surprise then that David uses the metaphor of the shepherd to describe God himself. David himself was a shepherd. He was also the son of a shepherd, but also in his culture of the ancient Near East, the image of a shepherd would have been associated with most kings and most rulers, often depicted in art. Leaders and rulers would have held a staff or a rod. The idea of a shepherd, it speaks to two things. Firstly, the pastoral care, provision, protection. But it also speaks to leadership. The shepherds guide their flock, and the sheep recognize their voice and are able to follow. And in John chapter 10, we hear Jesus himself echoing Psalm 23 by saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep before going on to say, I know my sheep and my sheep knew me, just as the Father knows me, and I knew the Father, and I laid down my life for the sheep. I want you all to hear this. To be a Jesus follower, to be one of his flock, means that just as the Father knows Jesus, that is how Jesus knows us. The Father knows the Son intimately and lovingly, which means that Jesus knows you intimately and lovingly. The Son is so committed to us, his flock. He was willing to lay down his own life for us, like a lamb for the slaughter, so that we may be able to enter into a loving, intimate relationship that he would be able to know us with a love that is in direct proportion to the love that the Father has for Jesus. The love is one and the same. We are the beloved, cared for, led by, and loved by a supremely attentive shepherd who knows us, protects us, and just can't help himself but want to be with us. Because Jesus laid down his life for us, we can look to him as a shepherd and confess that he is really, really good. This shepherd is worth following. He's worth following above any other kind of shepherd because he is the ultimate leader. He is the only one who can truly lead us home. In verse 1 of Psalm 23, David says that in light of God being a good shepherd, he lacks nothing. Now, David obviously is not in possession of everything that has or ever will exist. But also, I want you to hear this. This is not like a twee statement of naive, rose-tinted faith. Remember, David faced hardship. The nation of Israel faced hardship in the wilderness. David is going deeper here whenever he talks about this. He's going down to the level of the soul. He's talking about a commitment and a contentment. He's talking about satisfaction, which only comes from following after this kind of a shepherd. David is saying that when you're willing to be led by God, the good shepherd, 
allowing God to be the ultimate center of your identity, or as we like to talk about it around here, Jesus being the boss of our lives, then you can join David in saying, with God, I lack nothing at all. I don't need anything else. And why? Because I'm following after the shepherd. I'm content. I'm satisfied. David is saying here that a life without lack is found through an intimate relationship with the shepherd where everything is in its right place. He's the one that leads and we follow after him. But that also has to mean that David is also saying whenever you follow after other guides, whenever you follow after other shepherds, whenever you seek to find contentment and satisfaction in places or people other than God, then you will be left lacking. And David, remember, is a man who knows exactly what he's talking about here. I want to take a few moments before we worship to unpack what could be, on the surface level, a really subtle thing. But as you go a little bit deeper, you realize it's actually the heart of it all. I want to unpack what does it mean for us to be the kind of people who are able to say, I lack nothing because in God, I have everything. As human beings, we're full of desires. We're full of loves and we're full of longings. All the talk of breakfast makes me hungry again, right? I'm desiring some food. That isn't a bad thing, by the way. The hungers and the desires, the loves and the longings that we possess within ourselves, that's how we're wired. It's how God created us. But all of these things are always headed in a certain direction. That's inevitable. The question that we need to ask ourselves as the flock of Jesus is which direction are our desires, loves, and longings headed? Or where are we looking to find our satisfaction? Dallas Willard puts it like this. Desire is infinite, partly because we are made by God, made for God, and made to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply our needs. We are only at home in God. David is able to say here, I lack nothing because his desires, his loves, and longings have been directed towards the only one who does not lack. There is nothing that God lacks. The word Lord in verse 1 is the holy Hebrew name Yahweh, which refers to a self-sufficient eternal being. God does not depend on anybody else for his own existence. He has life within himself. Yahweh is the only one who is able to satisfy your deepest longings. Why? Because he is an immortal God marked by unfailing love. We can only be satisfied by our creator. We can never be fully satisfied with anything created, although that never stops us from trying, right? All the time, we place infinite expectations upon finite people and finite things. We take good things created by God and we turn them into gods and we place them first. We center our greatest loves upon them and all the while we are left disappointed. As Tim Keller puts it, if we look to some created thing to give us meaning, hope and happiness that only God can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. We center so much of our lives upon desires, possessions, people, experiences, and things. Things that simply cannot bear the weight of our souls. And so whenever these things break, 
whenever they fail, whenever they leave, whenever they disappoint us, whenever they fall apart, we are left lacking, right? If you consider verse 1 of Psalm 23 and take out the words, the Lord, and add something or someone else into that sentence, something or something else that is an absolute requirement for you to be happy, for you to have a sense of self-worth, for you to be able to feel good about yourself, for you to wake up strong in the morning. If you place something or something else at the start of that sentence, that thing becomes your shepherd, the thing that you're truly following after. But the truth is that thing lacks. And so you will end up lacking also. David's words of I lack nothing are just so stark to our modern ears, right? We just dismiss them, David, whatever, okay? These words of contentment, they just sound so foreign to us because we live in an age of unparalleled wealth and opportunity, and yet we're so flippin' insecure. We're so unsure of ourselves. We want everything now, and yet we are spiritually bankrupt. And so we look to everything that we have chased after, and we look into our hands and realize that it's only just vapor. It is just chasing after the wind. Our age, and for so many of us, our lives, and in that I include myself, are so often formed by seeking after a shepherd who is not Jesus. We substitute the good shepherd for another leader, another boss, another allegiance, another guide, a provider that simply cannot offer what God offers us. For Ronald Rollheiser, this means that our age and our lives are defined really by three things. Narcissism, basically being so into ourselves. Pragmatism, which means that we so excessively work, we are driven, we need to keep achieving, we're just workaholics. And thirdly, restlessness. We just have this excessive greed for experience, we drink in too much of life. Narcissism, pragmatism, and restlessness. Any of those sound or feel familiar? The truth is, none of this is a new thing. 1,600 years ago in his confessions, Augustine wrote about this, famously saying, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Augustine teaches us that we are invited into a joyful life, a life where we are able to take all of God's good gifts and delight in them. We're to enjoy people, experiences, vocations, and possessions. I am not talking about living a boring life here. None of these things are bad, right? And we are to love God's gifts, but we are to love God more. Discipleship, following Jesus, being one of the flock, is all about the reordering of our loves. We are to love the first thing first. The first thing being God, only God. He is the only one that is able to bear the weight of our souls. But from then, we are able to love second thing second and third things third. And yet our tendency, right, is to love second things first. Things that cannot sustain the weight of our love. They cannot give us what we truly desire. So often, we love God's gifts more than we love God himself. As James K. A. Smith puts it, disordered love is like falling in love with the boat rather than the destination. That's a weird thing. 
The problem is that the boat won't last forever and it's going to start to feel a bit claustrophobic. Your heart is built for another shore. God is the shoreline that we are looking for and in him we find everything. What I'm talking about here are idols. Idols are simply anything more important to you than God himself. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give you. And here's the thing. When it comes to the first place in your life, it's either reserved for Jesus or someone or something else. That first place is the place of your worship, your obedience. And if it's not Jesus, it could be money, it could be sex, it could be power, it could be shopping, it could be how you feel whenever you look in the mirror, it could be relationships, national identity, political affiliations, it could be possessions, it could be work, your career, the home, the holiday, it could be trying to get the best grade in exams, it could be a leader, it could be an influencer, it could be so-and-so that you're just trying to keep up with. It could be an experience that you're chasing after. It could be presenting an idealized version of yourself on social media. It could be a vice. It could be a pattern of behavior. Now, most of those things are good things, right? But none of them, absolutely none of them, can be an ultimate love. None of them will truly satisfy you. All of them are deficient. All of them lack. None of them can bear the full weight of our loves, our longings, or our desires. And particularly whenever it comes to relationships, it would be really unfair for us to expect them to do so. Nobody, nobody can be your Messiah. Only Jesus of Nazareth can be like that. Idolatry, which sounds like a hefty term, but simply putting second things first, it doesn't work and it leaves us restless. How knackered are you from all of the chasing after the wind? Let's take money, for example. Money, generally, if it's good to put use, is a good thing. Let's make it rain, right? But whenever it comes to money, if we make it our ultimate desire, our shepherd, if you will, if we make it the thing that we're always pursuing after, well, here's the thing. Where does that end? You will never have enough money. When does it stop? This is why Jesus taught us about the idol of money all of the time. Matthew 6, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Mark 8, what does it profit a whole, uh, sorry, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Make money your shepherd and you will never feel as if you have enough. Money in the place of God, it just takes and it takes and it takes and it takes. And yet the good shepherd, the Lord, he gives. And yes, in his divine mystery, at times he takes away, but he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. Fully satisfied with Jesus being the boss of our lives, we can be the kind of people who cry out, blessed be the name of the Lord. Everything is enticing these days. We want this thing, we want that thing, we want everything now, but it never stops and it knackers us to flip out. Why am I saying all this? I just want you all to be aware of mirages in the wilderness. To be aware of the allure of something that actually offers you nothing. 
I just want you to be aware of the fruit of trees, that as you lift them and grab them and bite into them, they're sweet to the taste, but after a moment, it just leaves you hungrier than you ever have been before. Only Jesus can satisfy your desires. And as you allow him to lead, and as you seek first his kingdom, all of the things will be added onto you. Because whenever Jesus comes first, you get him. And there is nothing else that we desire. You get an intimate relationship with the one who is the ground of all being, the creator of the universe. You get him in this intimate, loving, knowing relationship. Why am I saying this? Why, whenever it comes to Psalm 23, whenever we just want to like, cue the spa music, am I talking about idols? John Calvin said that the human heart is an idol factory. And over the past year, with all of the restrictions that have taken place, some of the things that we have misdirected our loves and our longings toward have been taken away from us, right? But as things begin to ease, the factory assembly line has got up and running again. We're looking ahead to opportunities, to experiences, to interactions with people becoming unrestricted. Things that we have been so excited for, but things that we can so easily substitute into the place of Jesus. Now, listen to me. Please, please hear me. Because I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer right now. I am super excited for a holiday. I cannot wait to get on a plane whenever it's less, you know, weird. I can't wait for that. I can't wait to get onto a beach. I can't wait to have people in my home. I can't wait to get into the restaurant. But I want to be really, really clear with us all. Nothing that you are looking forward to will truly satisfy you. Only Jesus can do that. And because I do what I do, I've had many conversations over the past year, meetings on Zoom, walking laps and laps and laps of Wallace Park with people. I've been able to talk with people about discipleship, about how following Jesus has been during COVID times and also pre-COVID times. And there's one thread that has run through pretty much every conversation that I've had with you guys, members of our community. And to put some language to it, many of us, all of us, have realized just how much we have loved God's gifts more than we have loved God. We have desired the kingdom, but not so much the king. And when it comes to God's gifts that have been taken away or restricted this year, many of us have realized that actually, truthfully, we weren't really following after Jesus. We were following after something else entirely. A different shepherd was leading the way. Now, it doesn't have to be this way. Life in all of its fullness is available to us. And the invitation is quite simple. Yes, go and love all of the things of God's good creation, but just love God more. We are to center our lives on the lived experience of our relationship with God. We are to know him. We are to pay attention to him. We are to spend time with him. We are to listen to his voice. We are to put into practice what you hear him say. I'm talking about the simple practices of prayer, of the scriptures, of Sabbathing, and of worship, of keeping company with Jesus every day. You know what you need to do to center yourself on Jesus. And as you do that, trust me, 
you will find yourself satisfied, content, at peace, and joyful. And please hear me on this. I do not say this from like a holier than thou place because, hands up, idolatry is the biggest thing that I struggle with in my own spirituality. So, for those of us who struggle with idols, we've got a choice to make. Either we can just move on to another idol whenever the one idol just kind of gets broken or it disappoints us. You know, like, oh, there's this new shiny thing. I'm going to go after it, right? That's how so much in our culture grows and develops. Either we can do that, just move on and the addiction continues, or we can center our lives on the only one who can satisfy. We can worship the good shepherd. Or to put it another way, we can learn to truly worship once again. The art of following Jesus is all about recognizing that he is the good shepherd and us following after him. Alex, Jamie, guys, come on up. This takes time, by the way, and it takes practice. Discipleship has worked over the long haul of our entire lives, but for those of us who have realized that we have loved God's gifts more than we have loved God himself, I want to offer us a really simple place for us all to start this week. I want to invite us all, over the course of this series, the next seven weeks, every weekday, to read Psalm 23, to read it aloud, to read it by yourself, or to read it with your family. If you've got kids, to be able to take a moment to be able to gather them around the dinner table and read aloud Psalm 23, to pray off the back of it for each other. I want this scripture to get into our bones. And why? Because as we read it, as it sparks our imaginations, we can notice everything that the Good Shepherd offers us, but that nobody else can't. Rest, protection, presence, comfort, guidance, love, abundance, goodness, mercy, and life everlasting. Trust me, there is not a person or a thing that is able to offer you anything close to that. Jesus is the only shepherd worth following because he is the only one who can truly bring us back home. He is the shoreline that we seek. He is our destination. He is our North Star, and in Jesus, we lack nothing. His clothes were still damp, despite the crackling fire cooking the fish. And as Peter ate breakfast on the beach, he was resting and finding resolution to the unresolved as Jesus said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. But he also heard Jesus say something else that day, something that he first heard three years earlier. The night before the crucifixion, Peter had fled away from Jesus. He had ran away towards the idols of safety and reputation. His desperation, though, to swim back to the shore proved that none of that was enough. And on the shoreline, Peter was met by grace. He was met by a meal. He was met by the presence of Jesus. And in spite of his running away, he received the words of invitation from the Good Shepherd once again. Follow me. Follow me. Me, Peter. Follow me. Not anyone or anything else. Follow me. Friends, 
despite whatever, despite whatever other shepherd you have been following, Jesus invites you right now to sit with him, to be with him, to receive his meal of grace, and to hear his invitation once again, follow me, follow me, me, follow after me. And so may we trust in the slow, gracious work of God. May we come to see that a rich and full, joyful life is found in loving first things first and second things second. May we know that it is only in the Good Shepherd that we lack nothing. And may we follow Jesus above anyone or anything else. If you're able, would you stand with me? If you're in the building, as we come to worship, if you're at home, can I invite you to change your posture? You may want to get up off your sofa. Also, because you're at home, there is a space for you to be able to kneel in the quiet, private place. Let's close our eyes for a moment. I can talk all day, and I know that I have talked all day. Apologies. But it is truly the Spirit who reorders our loves. So can I invite you just to close your eyes? And can I invite you, if you're comfortable, just to place your hands out in front of you? I'm struck by Peter jumping into the water, chasing towards the fire, chasing towards Jesus. This moment of utter desperation, this moment of devotion, longing to be with him. And if you're knackered from chasing after everything else and just longing to be with Jesus right now, to place him first, to place him as the ultimate, to follow after this good shepherd. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you awaken our first love? Would you awaken our desperation? Would you awaken our longing to be with you? Holy Spirit, make us more hungry. Make us more thirsty for Jesus. Jesus, we want to seek after you and you alone. So awaken our first love, we pray. Awaken us, Lord. Awaken us, Lord. And just in the stillness of this moment, like an act of confession, I want to invite you to say aloud, and it's going to be a whisper because it's going to be behind your mask if you're here. You can say it much louder if you're at home. If you long to place Jesus and Jesus alone in that place of first love, I want you just to confess these words. The Lord is my shepherd. And as you confess those words, you're confessing that no other shepherd is going to do. This is a moment of repentance. This is a moment of turning around. This is a moment for us to be able to worship Jesus again. So take a moment. In the next 10, 15 seconds, when you're comfortable, when you're able, just whisper those words. The Lord is my shepherd.
And let's put this all into practice in the best place that we know how, by worshiping Jesus together. Jimmy, This week, starting from today, I want to invite you all to take some time by yourself with your family to read aloud the words of Psalm 23. This ancient song that could become for us as a community an anthem, the song that we sing in this very strange land that we find ourselves in. A song that reminds us of how good Jesus is, how good he will forever be. I invite you to do that, to practice it, get your kids involved, get them to have a go at saying this song aloud. Pray for each other as you do it. Remember, Coffee and Connect is going to be happening immediately after this service. Thank you so much for joining us today. But before you go, Jack, a fella from East Belfast, C.S. Lewis, a fella from up the road, once said this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, for another kingdom. This week, may each of you realize that you can only be satisfied by the king. And so with that, may you be the kingdom people, sharing his love, his grace, and his welcome, and his supernatural power wherever you go. Grace and peace. Thank you all so much for joining us today. See you all soon.